Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara and welcome to the Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Sarith Hawk comes from a family of survivors. Her family immigrated to the U.S. as a result of the Cambodian genocide of the 1970s, a brutal period under the communist Khmer Rouge that left up to two million people dead. Both sides of Sarith's family survived that brutality. They ended up in a refugee camp in Thailand for quite some time before they were able to be sponsored to come to the U.S. I was born in one of those refugee camps. Her family landed in L.A., then moved to Kern County, where they started their own donut shop. And finally, they settled in Fresno. That whole time, Sarith didn't think much about her parents' history in Cambodia. The stories that I heard growing up, they weren't necessarily traumatic. They always were told with life lessons behind them. And it wasn't something that I really kind of thought about until I got older and I, by chance, took up a side gig as an interpreter. Sarith used her language skills to help other Cambodians at social service appointments and medical appointments. It was at these appointments that I realized everybody that I was meeting was affected somehow by emotional trauma or physical illnesses or psychological trauma that really all stemmed back to their experience in the genocide. And doing this kind of work made me realize that the problem was on a much bigger scale than I really realized. And it was a story that just kind of stayed with me. Nearly 320,000 Cambodians live in the U.S., with about a third living in California. And so many are living with this trauma and need better access to resources like mental health care. Sarif is now a public radio reporter with KVPR in Fresno. And today... We're talking with her about why it's so hard for the Cambodian community to get the mental health care they need. And we'll zoom in on one program in Oakland that's helping people heal. I really wanted to find what kind of solutions were out there. Um, But I thought, well, what can you do? What can be done to help these people? And, And I think I kind of found that in my reporting. That's right after this break. Stay with us. 
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. What parts of the state have the largest pockets of Cambodians now? A lot of Cambodians have kind of settled uh, in Long Beach. That's the largest population. There's uh, Stockton. Fresno was like one of the top five. Um, Alameda County itself has over 5,000. And this is according to the U.S. Census report from 2015. A lot of people chose to come here because... People who settled here built a community around themselves and they wanted to be around other Cambodians. What are the kinds of things that people who survived the Khmer Rouge are sort of dealing with as a result? There hasn't been, unfortunately, a lot of studies that have been done on the kind of impacts, especially with this group, because it's so specific. And a lot of times health studies Um, especially within the Asian population, we all kind of get lumped into one thing. The data that I did find showed that a majority of, of refugees suffered from PTSD, suffered from depression, and then sometimes that would manifest into physical ailments like diabetes and, you know, a lot of stress related issues, stuff that would just go untreated. There were a lot of indirect consequences, too, in terms of maybe they're, they're turning to alcoholism to kind of deal with, with the pain of all of this. Or it may hinder the community more as far as being able to get an education and then earn a better income. So you kind of see it in the, the way that the Cambodian culture is, is still kind of struggling to get its footing even now. Why does it so often go untreated 
for the Cambodian community? What are the barriers to mental health treatment? If you don't speak English, if you're not immersed in the culture, it can be really hard to navigate the healthcare system. And that's even with somebody who speaks English. There unfortunately aren't a lot of medical providers who speak Cambodian. And then as I found in my interpreting role, it can be really hard to find interpreters who are available on that exact day and exact time for the appointment. Hmm. And then the, the cultural barriers. I mean, if, if you're Cambodian and you're used to being around other people in your communities, it's not a comfortable feeling to go to a medical office where you're not familiar with the people and it just can be very intimidating. So a, a lot of times people just avoid getting any kind of treatment, let alone for mental health, which is still stigmatized in the community. It's not a physical ailment, it's not something that you can see, but it affects you in ways that you can't exactly articulate. I really wanted to find what kind of solutions were out there. What can you do? What can be done to help these people? So this question brought you to Oakland at the Center for Empowering Refugees and Immigrants. Can you paint a picture for us, Sarith? What was it like when you just walked in? It's called Siri, uh, this place, and it's a really special place. It's very unassuming. It's just in an old Victorian house in East Oakland. You know, old Victorian homes are old and wood and, you know, creaky and... (laughs) So walking up the stairs and and it's almost like you're in a whole new world. We took our shoes off at the door. And then and then you walk in, you see pictures of Buddha. There's mats on the floor and you're seeing elders sitting cross-legged on the floor talking and socializing. <laughs> I don't know. I'm on any given day where they're having these appointments, they're cooking food in the kitchen. You know, they're cooking Cambodian food, more, more importantly. And they're sharing that food and eating, and sometimes they play music and they dance. So it really felt to me like either I was going to the temple or an elder's house. And I actually forgot where I was. I forgot that this was a clinic, (laughs) you know, that people were here to get mental health treatment. And I know that the day that you went and visited was actually clinic day. What is that? Clinic day is something that Siri would hold once a month. And they call it clinic day because that's the day that the doctors come in. So they have two psychiatrists who volunteer their time completely pro bono to come in and have a session with them. And it's on this day that people come in and also have that time to to have face-to-face interaction with the other community members there that kind of bring them together, knowing that they're all coming here for the purpose of getting professional help. Well, Sarith, who runs this place? 
So Siri was started by the executive director, Mona Afri. M-O-N-A-A-F-A-R-Y. Who is a, you know, a cl- licensed clinical therapist. And she had been working for a long time uh, in that profession in the U.S. She had actually started working with Cambodian refugees specifically at a, a previous organization, which had to shut down. She realized that the Cambodian refugees she was treating didn't really have anywhere to go, didn't have a place that they could go to replace that treatment they were losing. For years, the agency lost its funding, and so the Bosnians and the Afghans were able to find another home, but the Cambodians weren't. So she decided to start her own organization, which is what came of Siri. It is a, a, you know, a county-funded healthcare program, and they have been operating for over 20 years now. Most of the established clients there are Cambodian refugees because they were with them from the beginning. So they kind of have built this incredible program that is hitting all the different needs that somebody might have in the community, but then also giving them actual mental health care. So I'm a psychologist, and I started with um, therapy, but it was clear that they needed more than that. On top of mental health care, Siri helps clients with lots of other important stuff, like translating mail or connecting them with social services like supplemental security income or disability insurance. The program's special sauce, though, is the culturally specific parts of it that draw clients in in the first place. I want to talk about what makes this program so unique, because uh, there's this mental health staff, there's the community, and there's also the culturally specific stuff. What specifically goes into that? Yeah, you know, this the culturally specific parts of this this program are are really the key. It was all ideas from the clients, you know, things like cooking Cambodian food. I've never seen that at a mental health clinic anywhere. And then you're sharing it with people who went through the same things that you went through and who understand the pain that you're going through. And and just little details like having a sitting room where in, in a lot of Southeast Asian cultures, people sit on the floor. They don't sit in chairs, you know, especially elders. They like to kind of spread out on the floor and uh, sit on mats and just kind of sit around and talk. That element is of just making it feel like a home more than anything and not like an office. It really helps to normalize something that is not normal in this kind of culture and community. We talked about mental health being stigmatized, and it's very true. You know, a lot of people think that talking about it, dredging up the past is bad luck, or it means you're cursed. They spent a lot of their time building this culture at Siri, where it's telling the clients, and these are elders, these are people in their, you know, 70s, 80s, telling them that, hey, you know what, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel depressed. But there's a reason why you're feeling about it, and you should talk about it. 
I think that even many years after genocide, it's not easy for many of our elders to talk about it. Mori Cham is the program director for Youth and Families at Siri. She's a Cambodian refugee as well. She grew up with a mom who didn't really understand the system, who uh, had a hard time navigating a lot of different things. I always say to my friends and family from the Central Valley that I wish that there was a Siri when we were growing up. I wish that there was a Siri for my parents when they first resettled. I wish there So was it's through her lived experience that I think she really understands the struggles of what people are going through. We have um, our outreach workers who are from the community and who speak the language and support in that same care setting. And so it's the same people every time. And I think that really works. I think it has um, made Siri a space that is, and I quote, second home to some of our elders. Well, I mean, what do we know, Sarith, about how well this program is actually working for the clients? Yeah, you know, that was one of the questions I posed to Mona. She didn't really have like hardline data or anything. Her answer was that when I first meet somebody who needs help, I can tell that they're diminished as a person. I sit with them and I say, I promise you, in one year, your life would be drastically different. And they look at me in disbelief. And once that year is up, she checks in with them again. Getting the help that they need, which could be something like, can you read, being able to, to go on SSI, to being able to get food stamps and um, things that, are, that they need on a daily basis to getting therapy and getting finding a community that deeply cares. So that's how she determines whether it's successful, is gauging in that year timeline. What has changed for you? And I know uh, you met one of the clients who's actually been going to Siri since it began, and that's Valerie Seuss. Can you tell me, tell me a little bit about her story? Valerie came to the U.S. also as a refugee in the 80s, and she stumbled upon this program by word of mouth because Siri does a lot of community outreach, so they're very intentional in who they reach out to Valerie kind of has been with Siri since it started about 20 years ago. She reused words like, this place is an oasis. It's like a place of shade for people like us. Our brothers and sisters who suffered from the time of the Khmer Rouge, who still have fear and heartache from the memories of that time, they have this place to come heal. And so you really get a sense that this is really a refuge for people who would otherwise be alone in this big city and kind of siloed, isolated from, from other people. Um, 
This place is like a place of shade, an oasis for Cambodians that need help with healing of the heart or other illnesses. I mean, what is your biggest takeaway from your reporting, you think? I was surprised that my culture that I've been so close to, that there could be a way to get people to open up and to talk about something that is so incredibly traumatic. And I was so surprised, you know, delightfully surprised that there could be a program that exists that, that touches people in this way. I'm very hopeful that with knowledge and wherewithal and willingness and passion that it can be brought to other communities, not just Cambodian communities, but different ethnicities and cultures that have perhaps gone through their own kind of trauma. We can all build culturally specific and culturally sensitive programs. I think that's always going to be a possibility. It's just the willingness to do it. Well, Sarith, I really enjoyed talking with you, and I really appreciate you for sharing your reporting. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was Sarith Hawk, a reporter with KVPR in Fresno. Sarith's got a bunch more really great reporting on this topic and on how the Cambodian community is coping with trauma here in California. I'm going to leave you some links to that reporting in our show notes. This 45-minute conversation with Sarith was cut down and edited by producer Maria Esquinka. Ali Montesilio is our senior editor. He scored this episode and added all the tape. The rest of our podcast team here at KQED includes Jen Chien, Cesar Saldana, Katie Springer, and Holly Kernan. Support for The Bay is provided by the Osher Production Fund. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.